Anyways, we're glad that you're here. We do have a brand new series starting next week called Face the Music. It's going to be absolutely incredible. Uh, we've got some great, great things planned for it. And so make sure that you're here. You have some invite cards in your worship God. Invite your friends, invite your family, invite the person at whole paycheck down there so they can break out of that mold. And, and we'll see God do some incredible things. And so I'm excited about today. We just finished up a series called Chains over the last couple of weeks. We've been talking about some breakthroughs and different things. And today I just wanted to kind of take a break for one weekend and just talk about something that's very, very important to us as a church uh, that I think is critical to your relationship with God and your growth in your relationship with God and uh, something that, that is probably going to make the, the greatest impact in your life. And so today we're going we're to be talking about some one of our values here at church. And uh, we're going to be talking about the power of relationships. And this is what I know is that all of us have experienced different things in life. Some of us have experienced some incredible things. Some of us have had some difficult experiences. And uh, we've had some heartbreaking experiences. And this is what I know about any, whether it was good or whether it was bad, uh, no matter which way it was, when we had people walking with us through those situations, that always makes it better. doesn't matter whether it's good or whether it's bad, when there's other people that's there, when it's good, when there's other people that are there to celebrate you with with you, it's awesome. It's like when I go to the hospital, when people are having babies and get to be a part of that experience, like not necessarily like in the room as they're making that experience happen, but like, like after the baby's out, when you're, you're in the room, you come in and you celebrate this, this new life. There's something that's just magical about those moments when you get to do that with people. Then on the flip side of that, when tragedy happens or some difficulty happens, maybe you experience a loss of, of someone in life. And, you know, going through those moments by yourself is, is, is extremely, extremely difficult. There's nothing like just having people that don't even necessarily have the answer, just being with you in those moments. In fact, I'll, I'll never forget when about 10 years ago, when Shayla and I got the most devastating news in our entire life from a doctor, when he told us that we would never be able to have kids. And, uh, like that moment when I got that news, it was like, the ultimate sucker punch to my gut. And I didn't know how to react. I didn't know how to move forward. I didn't even know what to do in that moment. The only thing I knew in that moment was is that like I shouldn't try to figure this out on my own. And I remember calling up uh, Randy and Amy Bizet and, go, and, and, and just going, hey, uh, we just got crazy news. Can, can, you, can we talk? And uh, Randy was at a meeting. He left that meeting. We met him at their house. We went into their master bedroom. And we just sat on the floor and we cried together. There were no words that were spoken, but there was something important about them just sympathizing with us and just hurting with us in that moment. I'll, I'll never forget, uh, not long ago, uh, I was in the hospital after a mission trip. Uh, I'd come down with some sort of illness. They had me quarantined. They didn't know what was going on. My organs were starting to shut down. Uh, they thought I was going to die. And I'll never forget this doctor coming in and, he, and him saying to me, I have no idea who you are, but there are more people in, in the waiting room of our hospital than have ever been in this hospital. And, and so like, I, want you, I remember him telling me, I want you to know, man, people have got your back. And there was something about knowing that, man, there was people that cared about me. There was people that wanted to do life 
with me that, that caused this emotion, that caused this hope to come forth in my life. And, and every time I start thinking about those moments in my life, and I'm sure when you think about the moments that you've had in your life where you've had people like that, man, it, there's something important about those. And as I start looking at scripture, as I start looking at God's word, as I start looking at the, the New Testament church that Jesus established, I, I realized that that was at the very heart of God. The very heart of God wasn't that we would be a part of a, of a religion. The very heart of God wasn't that we'd be a part of some organization. The very heart of God is that we would experience community. God has always wanted us to live in community. And we have a value here, and it goes right along with this, uh, that we do life together. We just firmly believe it because the New Testament church wasn't an organization. It was a community. It was a community where they, they lived together, they ate together, they sacrificed for one another, they cared for one another. You start reading through Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 10. You start to see this community where they saw somebody that was in need and they would go and meet that need. They saw somebody that needed encouragement, they would go and encourage those people. They were constantly doing life together. And that was how God intended for the church to look, not just the big church, but every church. In fact, I would say that God was never about us going and attending a church. He was about us being the church. It's about us living out our faith every single day with a community of believers. And I think to myself, like, man, what, what, would, that, what would that look like? What does that mean for us? How does that take place? Because we live in such a unique area of the country. Uh, I, I don't know if you realize this, but the vast majority of people that live in South Florida aren't from South Florida. Most of us are, are transplants. There's a few uh, unique people that are actually from here. We'll take pictures of you after service. You know, like you're, you're, you're an anomaly. You're not the norm. But the reality is, is most of us aren't from here. And so we move here and we're looking for people that we can do life together because all of a sudden we've, lost, we've left our families, we've left our friendships, we've left all of these things. We're looking for where, where's the place where I belong? Where's the place where I fit in? Where's the place that's going to accept me, love me, encourage me, and build me up? And so what happens is we, we start going to churches thinking, man, if I can just find a church to attend, and, and we'll, when we finally find a place where we, we like the music and we like the preaching, then, then what do we do? We call up our friends or we call up our family. Hey, mom, dad, friend, I've, I finally found that place where I can go to church. Like God is really impressed with our attendance. I mean, I'm not saying that we should forsake the assembly because there's something to this power that comes together when we come together and we worship and we learn together, but there is something more that God intended for us to have. God intended for us to do life together. God intended for us to live in community. God's intent was not that we would sit in classroom formation like this. God's intent wasn't that we would be in rows, but that we would be in circles where we'd be face-to-face, -face, challenging, encouraging, building, uh, holding each other accountable, really, really doing life together. 
Not this idea, did I go to church, but the idea, am I being the church? Am I really living out God's intent for his church? And how much more different would our life be if our life, when it came to God, was community-driven? Was relationship-driven? Like when we're going through a crisis and, and people are like, man, I, I'm here, man. I've got your back. Like we'll, we'll get through this together. Because I know a lot of people, they've been through crises. Let's just be honest, the church hasn't been there. They went through a tragedy and nobody knew that that tragedy was even taking place in their life. Listen, and that will always be the case. This is just the God's honest truth. If you're just attending. Because you're missing out on the true power of community. Because here's what community does. Community is a game changer for your life. In fact, I, I just recently got this thank you note in the mail from a family that uh, on New Year's Eve, they're... This father was killed in a motorcycle accident, and this is what the family wrote to us as a church. They said, this church family has really pulled together and blessed us beyond our words. We can't even find a word in the English language that shows and tells of the gratitude and thankfulness we have for all the love, support, prayers, visits, meals, help with the house, the hugs, the sympathy, and willingness to go above and beyond for our family. We just want you to know that we appreciate your help and thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We are in awe that, the need, that our needs have been met and that we could call on you and know that you would bend over backwards to help. We are forever grateful and truly touched and overflow with blessings because of you. Thank you for blessing us. And I think about a note like this and I think about all the families and all the people that go through life and they are missing community, I have no idea what they do in the midst of tragedy. I have no idea how they make it through the difficulties of life when you don't have anybody there standing with you and encouraging you and building you up. And so today I want to take some time and really dive into this. We do life together and talk about why do we do life together and, and how does it benefit our life? Because sometimes we don't realize the benefits that God has given to us. Like we never look at for a lack of a better term, uh, God's uh, benefit package for us that he has is, he is wound up and tied up in this idea of relationships. And so we're going to look at a passage of a scripture in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture when it talks about community. And it says this, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so out of this passage of scripture, there are some things that we can glean from the apostle Paul that he's trying to teach us about community. And what he's telling us first and foremost is that community begins with committing ourselves to Christ. The major aspect of community happens as we commit ourselves to Christ. In verse 23, it says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. 
for he who promises faithful. Now, inside this passage of scripture, there is a word in there that is not very common to us, and it's this word unswervingly. Anybody use the word unswervingly this week in conversation? Okay. Nobody here did. No, no one in any of our uh, four services used that word in the past week. Why? Because that's not a common word to us. A common word for us is the word swerve. Anybody swerved in their car this week? Some people swerving around. Anybody see anybody swerving in their car this week? Anybody driving in South Florida? Yeah, like it doesn't take long to, to see people swerving in their car. In fact, I was reading on the MSN, the number one uh, reason for fatalities in, in car accidents, number one reason people end up in major, major car accidents with fatalities is because they were swerving. Pretty interesting. Why are we swerving in life? Because we're trying to multitask, Right? We're going down the road and we're trying to, to text and we're trying to eat and we're trying to drive all at the same time. Oh, now, or ladies, we're trying to put up our, um, on our makeup in the mirror and drive down the road on 95. I don't even know how you do that. That's like exceptional multitasking. And when you're doing that, you're all over the place. And Paul is saying, hey, listen, don't swerve all over the place. Because when you start swerving, what you're doing is you're throwing everything out of alignment in your life. Everything is, is getting thrown to the left or everything is getting thrown to the right. And Paul's saying, man, we've got to hold on unswervingly. Make sure there's not things that are pulling you off to the side. Last week, we, we had uh, winter in South Florida. I mean, it was the worst weekend weather of all time. It was not only was it cold, but it was rainy. Anybody remember that? Like, let's hope that we never have that again. Like, we live in South Florida for, for warm weather. And so I was actually traveling to this service at this time, and Sample Road was blocked off at Dixie Highway because of the railroad tracks. They were down. I don't know. They were down for, like, a couple of hours. And so as I was traveling here from our Coconut Creek campus, um, I jumped on 95 to go over to Copens. And, and I was driving in my sports car, this Toyota Prius, and... Uh, as I was exiting on Copens Road, there's, there's like a roundabout to head uh, out east here. And so I'm coming off this roundabout, and I'm, I'm slowing down. I mean, I'm in a Prius. How fast can I go? And, and I hit this patch of water, and I start to hydroplane. And as soon as I start hydroplaning, my car starts spinning in 360s. Now, I've hydroplaned a couple times in my life because I have a need for speed. And so, like, uh, I, I've hydroplaned, and I learned the first time I hydroplaned, I started doing a 360. And so my thought was, that, well, if I'm going this direction, then I need to turn my steering wheel the opposite direction, right? That makes sense in your mind. Like, if I'm going, if I'm spinning around on the right side, I need to make it go left. So I'm going to turn my steering wheel left. Well, what I didn't realize is that I'm spinning out of control because I have no traction, but as soon as you get traction, whatever way your tires are facing, your car is going to start going that way. And so I overcompensated. I ended up doing 360s, hitting a couple trees. It was awesome. It's one of the most amazing rides of my life. Uh, Shayla has been traumatized ever since. Uh, and so I started 360ing. I start going down 
into like the swell that's like off the interstate, like down into the ditch. I'm 316. The people behind me are all stopping. They're pulling out their phones. They're like, this is going to be awesome. You know, they're like, got to get this. And I just hold on as tight as I can onto my steering wheel because I know at some point I'm going to get some traction. And all of a sudden I get some traction. My car kind of fishtails. I jump right back on the road and I head over here and I preach my heart out. It was freaking awesome. And I say that because a lot of times what we're doing is we're trying to compensate. We're trying to do all these things. And God is telling us, listen, don't swerve to the left or to the right. If you'll just hold on tight, if you'll just grab a hold of the wheel and you'll just say, man, I'm staying on this path. This is what God says. He says, he who promised is faithful. So if you'll hold on to my promise in the midst of the chaos going around you and go, you know what, I'm not going to get off track of this. I'm not going to try to make my own way. Because here's what happens to a lot of us is, is we got a promise from God. God, you're going to bring me a husband or God, you're going to bring me a wife. And it's not happening on our time frame. We go, well, God, I'm going to help you out. And I'm going to go to club cinema tonight and I'm going to find me a husband. I'm going to find me a wife. And all of a sudden, we start swerving off. And listen, you're never going to find a good husband or wife at the club. I'm just going to tell you that right now. We try to take it in our own hands. And God's like, no, no, no. Listen, hold on tight to what I promised. Don't go to the left or don't go to the right. Hold on to the promise that I have because I'm a promise maker and I'm a promise keeper. It might not be exactly when you want it, but it's going to be exactly when you need it. And if you'll hold on to that, and that word hold there, he said, like, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. And the hope that we profess is the promises of God that he's given us. He said, if you hold on to that, and that literally means attach yourself to it. If you'll attach yourself to that promise, man, nothing is going to get out of your sight. You're going to be holding on to this. And I've just learned from my own life, I've got to take that to the extreme. Because it's easy for me to, to get pulled off to the left or pulled off to the right. I'm no different than you are. And so I, I've just learned that, man, I, I attach God's promises literally to me. I go get them tattooed. I'm not encouraging you to do that. That's, that's my way of holding on to them. And so I've got, you know, Hebrews 6, 19. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. I remember when I'm in the storms of life, God, God is my anchor. I don't need to worry about the storm because I'm anchored to God. God, that's my promise. I'm going to hold unswervingly to your anchor that is taking care of my soul. We've got to figure out how to do that. In fact, in the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy, this is what would happen. Is they were trying to figure out ways. How do I remember these things? And they would look at a verse like Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength. He says, you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving you. Repeat them again and again to your children. Why? So you can remember them. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're, when you're at home and when you're away on the journey. When you're lying down and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands as a reminder. Wear them on your forehead. Remem write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Why is he saying all this? He's saying all this because you've got to remember the promises of God. Because here's what's going to happen. is Life is going to happen and chaos is going to come around. And it's going to be really easy for us to get all caught up in that. And, and so we need to be able to look around and see, no, what has God said, not what I'm seeing. 
And so God has said that I'm going to hold unswervingly to that, and I'm going to commit myself to what he has said. Because if we don't, we'll just naturally go this way, or we'll naturally go that way. And he's trying to encourage us to commit ourselves to Christ, to hold on to Christ and what he has said, and we will not swerve. And so I, I've, over the last couple of months, I, I've been holding on to something pretty unswervingly. Uh, and, and I've been holding on to some principles that I believe in. And so my wife, over the last couple of months, has been adamant that she wants a dog. Uh, y'all have heard about this. If you've, you've been at Coastal for a while, I mean, I, I've showed you pictures on Instagram where she tags me over and over again on dog pictures, trying to convince me that we want to buy a boxer puppy. And I am 100% convinced that I don't want a boxer anywhere. Like, I don't want a, a real-life boxer. I don't want a boxer dog. I don't want a boxer puppy. Like, I don't want any dogs. Like, I'm holding on to the fact that I don't want that. And so uh, to try to get her to get beyond this idea of wanting a, a dog, I recently took her to, like, a pet's land down in Davie so that she could experience what a boxer was like. And so they have these little booths where you sit down with a, with a puppy and they put them in there and so you can play with them thinking that you'll get emotionally attached to them and want to buy them. And so she, we put this boxer puppy in there with her and this boxer just bites her over and over again. And she's like, I hate this dog. I'm like, praise the Lord, hallelujah. God, you have answered my prayer. She's like, I don't want one of these. And so we're getting ready to leave. And she, she looks over and she sees the dog. She's like, can, can we see that one? And, and so they put this dog in this little room and this dog just sits down, lays down at her feet and just chills. And she's like, I love this. This is awesome. And, and I go, hey, how much is this dog? And the lady looks at me and goes, that dog is $3,600. I said, well, it's nice petting that dog. We're out of here. You know, $3,600 for a dog? Like that's like a used car right there. I was like, man, you all are crazy. I pet people are nuts. And, uh, and so I was like, we ain't getting one of those. I can tell you that right now. That's like, it's crazy. And so like Shayla has been inundating me with, with this dog, this kind of dog over and over and over again. And she's been sending me pictures. She's been doing all this stuff. And, and because I understand a principle of life that if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Anybody ever heard that principle before? I said, you know what? I love Shayla with all my heart. And so I started saving some money. And uh, I, I'm super committed in life. I live by a, a, some strict boundaries when it comes to finances. And uh, I, I believe God's called me to some things in finances. And so if it doesn't fit within that, I, I hold on swervingly to that. And so I started saving and I, I'd accrued a certain amount of money. And uh, one day Shayla came to me and she's like, I found the dog that I want. It's the color I want. It's the, the eyes that I want. It's, it's everything that I want. And I said, well, well, babe, how much is it? And she gives me this price that is like uh, one and a half times the amount of money I have saved. And I go, sweetheart, I love you. And uh, like someday you can buy a dog. But all I have budgeted right now is this amount of money. And if those people will accept this amount of money, then, then you can have the dog. But I'm holding to the principle that I'm trusting God first in what he said. And so I said, hey, here's the amount of money. She texts this breeder and goes, hey, my husband said I only have this amount of money, fully expecting that breeder to be like, oh, sorry. And they're like, hey, come pick up the dog. And I was like, I hate you, breeder. <laughs> and so uh, I, I would like to introduce you to uh, right up here, our great Dane. <gasps> This is Preacher, and uh, so uh, you're going to be hearing a lot about Preacher. Like, he looks all cute and innocent, but he is a killer. 
okay? He is going to be like 150 pounds and like taller than Kyle. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> so he's going to be four foot two and I'm just... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we, we need to bring our dog to church. You, you guys wouldn't want that because he, he's going to be like a horse. And so, uh, but I, I was like, man, that isn't God. I, I was holding on to these principles. And, and then God goes, you know what? He who promises faithful. That's what he said to me. He said, listen, you hold true to your, 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 your unswervingly to you're going to live this way with your finances. And you're going to live with this, this, this and you're going to live within your budget. And, and I'll take care of everything you need. And some of us forget that at times, and, and sometimes I don't want God to take care of my, my need. Like, I didn't want God to take care of that. But he who promised is faithful. Some of you all need to hear that today because you're swerving to your left and you're swerving to your right, and God is telling you, listen, you need to hold on swervingly to the promise that I've given you, and you need to commit yourself to me and to this thing. Secondly, community happens when I commit myself to others. Community happens when we commit ourselves to others. In verse 24, it says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. It says, now consider. That word consider there is strategize. It's to come up with a plan. It's to fix your attention on a methodology. And he's saying, listen, you gotta, you got to fix your attention on the things that are important in life. you gotta, you got to figure out what is critical to your faith and make sure that you keep that at the forefront of your attention. Because of whatever is in front of you is going to get your attention. It's one of the reasons why in my life I realized that there's a lot of things vying for my time. There's a lot of things vying for my attention. There's a lot of things vying for your time. There's a lot of things vying for your attention. So what are you keeping in front of you that is important in your life? And how do I do that? I keep some symbols. I have like a picture of Shayla and I in our Bible when we first got engaged, the night we got engaged, so I can remember that my love for my wife is critical. And I remember the moment that I fell in love with her and why I fall in love with her and how I felt so that when I'm frustrated with her, I'll go back to that. I'll remember, man, I need to fix my attention on what's most important. My relationship with her is more important than my frustration in this moment. And so what's most important, the relationship, not the frustration. I can get over the frustration. What is critical about that? And so he's saying, man, we got to constantly be reminding ourselves. We need to be coming up with the strategy sessions of how do we stay focused on what's most important in life? And the thing that's most important in life should be our relationships. That's why he says, let us consider, let us strategize how we can spur one another on. And I love the word spur there. It means to provoke or to stir up. He's saying, listen, we got to figure out ways to make sure that we're being provoked and we're being stirred up because all of us, we have that tendency to drift in life. We have the tendency to go to our left and go to our right just naturally. And most of us, when we start doing that, we don't even realize it. And so we need some people that can come and encourage us, that can build us up because let's be honest, we don't always have great days. Anybody ever had a bad day? Couple of us. Some of you aren't going to respond to anything I ask you. It's okay. But when you're having a bad day, what do you need more than anything? You need somebody that will come and encourage you. You need somebody that will provoke you to start to see something a little bit differently than how you're currently seeing it. There's a guy in our church this week that, 
that he, he, he needed a little bit of provoking. He was texting me about my, my CrossFit gym that's in my garage and about when I work out and all these things. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, man, I'm trying to figure out how to work out, you know. And he's, he's realizing that he needs to be provoked in this area of fitness in his life. And, and I could be a provoker of that for him. I was hanging out with some friends on Friday that we were just talking about what was happening in our lives and some difficulties we're going through, and we were provoking one another. We were getting each other to see some different perspective of those moments. Why were we doing that? Because it says, we may spur. See, this isn't a one-sided conversation where I'm doing the spurring and you're just getting spurred. That's not the goal of uh, uh, of relationships. The relationships are a mutual thing where each one, one of us is spurring and the other one's getting spurred and then later on one, the other one's spurring and the other one's getting spurred. So that we're experiencing that. And, I, and so people ask all the time, well, where's the best place for that to happen? Is that at church? No. Honestly, the greatest life change that's going to happen in your life is never going to happen right here. As much as I think that my preaching is amazing, it's just not. Like, as great as our worship team sounds, like, in the grand scheme of things, it's never going to transform your life. It's just not. This is awesome, and we're not to give up the, the, the congregating of the saints. We're not to give up the meeting of the saints together. Like, there's power in this. But your greatest life change is going to happen in the context of community. It's going to go when we get away from rows and we get in circles. And we're face-to-face -face with one another, and we're challenging, and we're encouraging, and we're building each other up, and we're, we're celebrating the wins, and we're, we're crying in the lows, and we're doing that together. In fact, it's one of the reasons why we so heavily promote our connect groups, and, and shameless plug right here, this is an opportunity for you to get involved in community right here at a church. Because it says that we can be spurred one another toward something. See, the people that are in our lives should be taking us somewhere. And he says exactly where they should be taking us, towards love and good deeds. A lot of us, we have relationships in life, but they're not taking us towards love and good deeds. They're taking us away from love and good deeds. They're taking us away from community. And it's so easy to get caught up in those types of things, especially in our society where we don't like this word called commitment. You know, one of the reasons why I've said uh, we got to commit ourselves to Christ and we have to commit ourselves to one another is because we live in a society where we have the Super Bowl coming up today. And if I were to ask you what you're doing tonight, most of you go, well, I don't know yet. You've gotten some invitations, but you're just waiting to see what the best one is. Hello. Because I would hate to commit myself to go over here and then get something better over here. And when we're always living that way, we miss out on the power of community. Because we're not committed to it. We're just looking for what's, what's the most popular, the best thing that we could do right now in this moment. But we need to be getting to do life with other people that are taking us somewhere. And that only happens when we commit to those relationships. And so what do we need to do when it comes to that? We need to be aware of becoming lackadaisical. We need to be aware of getting in this mentality where we become lazy when it comes to our relationships. It says in verse 25, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, 
But let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. It says, don't give up your relationships. Don't give up the things that are most critical to your spiritual growth in life. And, and I equate this kind of like in high school. At the end of our high school year, we would all get our high school yearbooks. This is, this is Shayla and I's. Uh, I think this is our sophomore year, our, our high school yearbook. This is actually Shayla's yearbook. And when you would get your high school yearbook at the end of the year, you'd go around to all of your friends and you'd hand it to them. And what would they do? They would write you notes in it, right? They would sign it. You all, does everybody remember this? I don't care how old you are. Everybody did this. Like you want to get everybody to sign your yearbook and you wanted to, you wanted to write the sweetest thing and you wanted them to remember. And for, in fact, one of them, this is in Shayla's yearbook. It says, hey, girly, we've been great friends for about two years now. I hope we can continue the relationship. This has been so awesome and we've become BFFs. you don't know what BFF is, best friends forever. And if you're a dude and you wrote BFF and anything, we're going to beat you up after service. I'm just going to, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Signed Meredith Getter. Shayla's BFF. Her girly. I asked Shayla about Meredith Getter this morning. I said, Shayla, when's the last time you talked to Meredith Getter? Your BFF, your girly. She said, I haven't talked to her since the day we graduated high school. Paul was encouraging all of us to do is, is there are some relationships in life that are our BFFs, that are our our encouragement, that are the people that are helping us get places and growing in our relationship with God. And he's saying, listen, be cautious that you don't forget those relationships. Don't like be cautious that you don't get careless and you lose touch and all of a sudden you start to drift from those relationships that help you get to the place where you are. And that are encouraging you and that are building you up. Because the natural tendency of life is, is that you're just going to drift from them. But you got to be aware. we all need people in our lives that are going to encourage us. He says, but let us encourage each other. He says, let us be that source for somebody else. Let us be that person that stands. Let us be that person that encourages, that builds up. hear people say all the time, well, well, my faith is private and personal. Okay. I don't need other people in my life. Here's what I found. It's really, really hard to spur yourself. 
for any length of time. Because let's be honest, what does spurring look like? It, it's, it's kicking yourself in the butt, right? So you think that by yourself you can just do this all the time. How long do you think you can last doing this? I'll give you about 60 seconds. I might be able to go a little bit longer because I'm a CrossFitter and I'm in better shape than you, but I won't be able to walk tomorrow. Why? Because that's not natural. We weren't designed to kick ourselves in the butt. Kyle, let's try this again. How are we designed? Here, show me what it's like. There you go. In case you didn't know, last service, Kyle put his butt to my butt. I was like, uh, that's just weird. <laughs> the most awkward moment ever. I hope that wasn't on camera last service. So <laughs> But I'm sure that when God looks down from heaven and he sees people trying to do this, he's like, these people just don't get it. I didn't design them to kick their own butts. I didn't design them to do that. I designed them to do it for each other. See, from the very beginning, God has been about one thing. It's been about relationship. Because he knew that there was power in relationship. Genesis, God walked with Adam and talked with Adam. God has first and foremost been about a relationship with us. then he looked at our lives and he said it's not good for man to be alone some people think well oh, that was a that was from a sexual standpoint no 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 no. that was from a relational standpoint and so God has been saying man there's this this critical element that's between you and I and one another you were designed you were created for these two relationships. And when you're missing either one, you're missing out on what I created you for. You're missing out on the potential that I have for you. See, Galatians tells us for a lot of us, we, we got this in the very beginning of our walk with Jesus. If you've been walking with Jesus for a while, you started integrating yourself into some relationships and you were doing well. You were seeing growth. You were seeing those things happen. And he goes, but what's interfered with you? What's keeping you from following the truth? And my question for you is, is, is what's keeping you from experiencing what God created you for? Is it insecurity? Is it fear that you won't be accepted? Is it that you don't feel like you know it all or have it all together? Listen, none of that stuff matters. Because all of us are jacked up, messed up. that's okay it's how we may be in the moment but that's not how we have to stay 
not big on judgment here. You know what we're big on? Love. Grace. Mercy. Kindness. You want to know why? Because that's what every single one of us needed from God. That's what every single one of us needs from each other. Maybe you're here today and you've been trying to do this relationship with God thing on your own. And you've thought all along that it's supposed to be personal and private. It is supposed to be personal, but it was never meant to be private. It is always meant to be public. for others to experience through the grace that God is doing in your life for them to see what's possible for their lives for them to experience God through you and maybe you're sitting out there today and you're listening to this and you're like man I, I have no idea what you're talking about I didn't even know I've known a lot about religion heard a lot about rules this idea that there's a God that wants to have a relationship with me, that's, that's completely foreign to you. Listen, I'm here to tell you, God created you to walk with you and talk with you, to know you. And he wants nothing more than to reconnect and establish that relationship today. And you don't have to wait another minute. You don't have to wait another year. You can establish that right here today.